You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and we have got another history maker in the house today, Privates. Last episode was all about the Star Garden strippers who unionized through Actors Equity Association and are now the only union strippers in the United States of America at this moment. And this episode, you are going to meet maybe a girl who is the country's first drag queen elected to public office. Hi, my name is Maybe A Girl. I am a member of the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. I'm the first drag queen ever elected to public office, and I am a trans person running for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives to represent California's 30th Congressional District. My pronouns are she, her, and they, them. So I reported a story on Maybe A Girl for KCRW, which is the local NPR affiliate based in Santa Monica, California, back in September 2019. The story was called For Maybe A Girl, Gender Nonconformity Isn't Her Only Political Act. And I'm very proud of this story. It actually went on to win an LA Press Club Award for gender and LGBT reporting. And I wanted to share it with you before we get an update from Maybe. You're listening to Greater LA, KCRW's show that connects you to the people and the places of Southern California. I'm Steve Chiatakis. Ladies and gentlemen, y'all ready for a track show? All right. Yeah, you better be ready for a show, because today we're introducing you to a local drag queen with an unconventional resume. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, once again, my name is Maybe a Girl. I am one of the uh, co-hostesses and producers of Wakes and Waffles. We are here every Saturday at the Standard Hotel. Now, every Saturday, Maybe hosts a drag brunch over at the Standard, which is in downtown L.A. She dons an 80s power suit, pearls, and a sleek blonde bob. Let's get some mimosas going around, and in the meantime, give it up for Miss Rainy Day! Yeah, it's a raucous, mimosa-filled romp for a cross-section of L.A. Hungover-looking 20-somethings, families, business travelers, tourists who have clearly never seen a drag show before, and they're eating up every outrageous impression along with those waffles and rewarding dance moves with dollar bills. Now, maybe a girl uses her drag name offstage, too, including on the first Wednesday of every month when things are decidedly more low-key. I'm going to call the meeting to order. It is about 10 minutes after 7. In April, she won a seat on the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council, making her the first drag queen elected to public office in the United States. So how does she straddle these seemingly disparate worlds? Reporter Courtney Kosak takes us to Silver Lake for the story. Drag is having a moment right now. Over the past decade and 11 seasons, RuPaul's Drag Race has seen its audience swell with rabid fans eagerly tuning in to see queens lip sync for your life. It's almost become mainstream. In previous years, a political candidate in drag would have likely been treated as a joke. But in 2019, nobody's laughing. 
Though perhaps RuPaul can't take all the credit. If I could say there is any sort of small silver lining of the current administration, it kind of just is that anything goes in politics right now. If Donald Trump can be elected president of the United States, why can't maybe a girl be elected to local office? Of course, she had to test that hypothesis. In January, she decided to make a run for Silver Lake's neighborhood council. The neighborhood councils are organized by the city of L.A. as liaisons between city government and local communities. Initially, she didn't know how her neighbors were going to respond. However, once people got to know her, they quickly got on board. I had the support of the people that I was running with. I had the support of the neighborhood. In fact, the biggest challenge was almost getting some of the drag queens in my drag queen community to believe that I was serious about it, you know? <laughs> they were like, they were like, is this a show? I like released my campaign flyer and they were like, is this for a show? I'm like, no, this is for real. She convinced her fellow queens that her political aspirations were genuine. Though it's easy to see why they were confused. The drag world is rife with camp and satire. But drag isn't just a performance to her. For me, drag is so much more than just, you know, putting on heels and a wig. For me, drag is actually a part of how I express my gender identity. So I identify as gender fluid. Uh, I feel like both a boy and a girl, sometimes a little bit more boy, sometimes a little bit more girl. Mm -hmm. Hence, my name actually really does make sense. Maybe a girl. As the way we view gender has become more flexible, it's easy to forget that it hasn't always been that way. Like when Maybe was growing up in Pittsburgh and then suburban Chicago. I don't consider my parents bigoted, but to casually throw around slurs against gay people, I think that was something that was a lot more acceptable back in the 90s than it is now. And so I remember this one time I like overheard my mom use the F word and Mm -hmm. it just kind of made me it made me really sad because I thought, well, if she hates them for that reason, she's going to hate me for that reason. But, you know, sometimes all it takes is for somebody that is ignorant to talk to somebody that is of that class of people that is being oppressed. So I think for a lot of people, their turning moment is when they realize, oh, I have a loved one who is queer. And then you realize this is just a person. This is not some, you know, boogeyman. But I was really lucky to have the support of both of my parents. Uh, Many queer people do not have that good fortune. Um, That's why many queer people are thrown on the streets um, when they're teenagers, which I think is absolute garbage. One of the issues Maybe is passionate about is homelessness, especially amongst queer youth. In fact, here in Los Angeles, out of all all of the homeless youth in L.A. County, 40% are LGBTQIA youth. She sits on the Homelessness Committee of the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. She also put forward a motion to create a new committee that formed a few months ago. Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Maybe a Girl. I am one of the co-chairs for the LGBTQIA Advocates Committee. Though she's not just concerned with LGBTQIA issues, but rather centering marginalized voices of all kinds. I hate when people say, oh, I just don't understand why we have to deal with all these identity politics. Well, you don't understand because you're probably privileged and your identity isn't at risk. You know, you don't have to worry about not having the same rights. You don't have to worry about going onto the streets and being discriminated. Right now, there are lots of folks throughout L.A. County who have anxiety over how their identity may affect their rights and well-being. And they're worried about the direction our country is headed. But maybe remains optimistic. I think that a lot of people think that things are unchangeable when the nature of everything is naturally changeable. And, 
you know, I think that we have dug ourselves into a rut in terms of how we take care of our people in this nation. But I don't think it's something that is insurmountable, but it's something where everybody has to be aware and everybody has to pitch in. And the easiest and most simple way you can do that is by voting. And she'll be taking every vote she can get because she's going to be on the ballot again next year. I'm so excited. So I just announced that I'm running for Congress. I'm running for the U.S. House of Representatives, California's 28th Congressional District. She knows Congress is a reach, but maybe he's not discouraged. She's got dreams and she's willing to hustle to achieve them. It's so funny. My drag character sometimes looks, you know, like a a rich white woman, but I'm honestly anything but, you know, it's really interesting to be running for Congress and then wake up and go and open up the restaurant and go buy ice and make drinks and, you know, serve people food. A few times a week, maybe waits tables on the lunch crowd at an Echo Park Bistro. I'm a regular person out here trying to fight for regular people and I'm not a career politician. But she is running up against one. When the primary rolls around, she'll be facing off against a well-funded, longtime incumbent, Adam Schiff. But her role model is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who won a surprise victory last year against a strong Democratic opponent. It's the same thing that AOC did when she unseated Crowley. Everyone thought it was a joke that she was even trying. You know, it just seemed like, no, there's no way that's going to happen. And it happened. And there's such an opportunity for that to happen here in this situation as well. But win or lose, this election won't determine her future in politics. Much like with drag, maybe is hooked, and she doesn't anticipate her political pursuits ending anytime soon. And like RuPaul, she's inspiring a whole new generation. I've gotten so many messages from young queer people just saying thank you for providing this visibility. You give me hope. I had this one person message me. They're a teenager, I think in like Texas, And he said, you know, I've always wanted to do drag, but I also want to get into politics. And people have told me you can't do both. And I just want to thank you for showing me that you actually can. To maybe a girl, politics and drag aren't all that different. After all, she says, being gender nonconforming is a political act every single day. For KCRW, I'm Courtney Kosak. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, privates. Boo, boo. Privates with penises. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. 
what? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with the universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. So I just wanted to catch up. You know, that KCRW piece ran in September 2019. And... You had a whole nother election since then. So I wanted to get your take on how that went and yeah, just see what's new. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also I I do want to mention I've had um, quite a few people say, oh, I learned about you through Courtney's piece on KCRW. So, yeah. And I I just talked to somebody about it recently. So I can't believe that was almost five years ago now. Yeah, crazy. But yeah, things have been um, things have been great. Things have been a little wet and wild, um, a little all over the place for good and for bad. You know, I'm now in my third run for Congress. So I ran in 2020. Uh, that was the beginning of my first election when we initially chat. And then I ran in 2022. Obviously, I didn't win because I'm running again in 2024. But last year was a totally different experience than my first time running for Congress. You know, I think anybody's first time running for Congress, you don't really know what to expect. You yeah. kind of have an idea, but, <laughs> you know, you don't really know what to expect. And it's it's a lot of rolling with the punches. Um, I will say that moving into our second campaign, uh, just it, it was so much better because we had the the experience of the, the first whole campaign and everything from what to expect when talking to voters to doing, you know, ground game stuff, also just to the bureaucratic processes of the whole thing. So I feel like we really benefited from the experience of the first campaign and the second campaign. And I think equally, we're going to see that in our third campaign and hopefully 
third time is the charm. But, you know, when we were talking back in 2019, I had kind of just started my first run for Congress. And ultimately, I ended up placing third out of eight people, which is not bad at all for a first time run. The top two vote getters of any given primary election move on to the general election. So we didn't make it to the 2020 general, but we we lost advancing to the general election by less than 1%. So it was a very, very close to second, third mm-hmm. place. So we knew we had to run again. So we ran again in 2022 and an even better response than our first time. And we ended up uh, actually making it through the primary election in 2022. So Ended up making it to the general election, uh, lost, but, you know, second place out of nine candidates for a person who was outspent more than 500 to one, uh, a really good, really good spot to be. So, Yeah. yeah, so it was a really wonderful, awesome campaign. And I'm so excited about this, this next third, hopefully, you know, last election before I get in because it's an open seat this year. So, you know, I was challenging somebody who is a very well-known politician, Adam Schiff, for his seat, you know, which is difficult, especially when you're running along the same party lines. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people do not look favorably at folks who challenge within their own party system, but I think it is extremely democratic to do so. I don't think we should just only have the one choice of the one party member placed right in front of us. And if you see something wrong with your congressperson or really your local representative at any level, feel free to challenge them. You know, I think we need to be holding our politicians accountable and not supporting them just because they are members of our own party. Yeah. So, you know, you said you learned so much on that first campaign that you were then able to execute better on that second campaign. What have you learned, you know, now with two under your belt that you think can make this third one even better? You know, I think, uh, well, I will say this, you know, we have a, a really great advantage going into this this third campaign and going into 2024. First of all, when I uh, advanced to the general election in 2022, it was the most crowded primary for any congressional district in the yeah. whole state of California, more than 50 congressional districts. And we had, we had the most number of people running. We had nine people. Now in 2024, because it's an open seat, uh, there's already 12 people who have registered with the FEC to run for Adam Schiff's seat. That's uh, two Republicans and then 10 Democrats. And to me, it's very interesting because you have all of these people who are sort of bum-rushing the ballots and, you know, they're suddenly so concerned about the district. They're suddenly, suddenly I must be the one to, you know, to carry on the legacy. And it's like, well, where were you the past several years? You know, if you really thought that this district needed something or needed some sort of substantive change, why did you wait until it was an open seat? So to me, it seems very uh, opportunistic for a lot of the people who have entered the race. Even for some of the establishment folks who are entering the race, you know, again, I question, you know, why now? And it just seems like they're very much following the order of how it's supposed to be. Oh, well, this seat is opening up, therefore I'm going to run for it. Who's announced? So there's a handful of establishment people and then a handful of, uh, I guess you could say, political unknowns, um, sort of the the big ones that have entered the race. Uh, and we just had our, our um, first quarter fundraising amounts come out in the past week. Uh, So we just finished our first quarter of fundraising with the FEC. And the person who raised the most money is, in my opinion, arguably one of the least exciting or 
memorable or notable candidates. Uh, it's Mike Fuhrer. Uh, he is the former city attorney for the city of Los Angeles. He actually ran for mayor last year against uh, Caruso and Bass, and he ended up dropping out because he wasn't polling more than 2%. And so that's why it doesn't make sense to me when these candidates do terribly in one election, and then they decide to run for an even bigger seat, thinking that they're going to somehow get this support out of nowhere. I, I think they forget that the people who voted them into their local seats and who didn't vote them for a higher seat are the same people who are going to be voting for you or not voting for you uh, for a seat in Congress. So, you know, I, I don't have terrible things to say about Mike Fuhrer, but I just think he is, I, I just have never been inspired. Uh, you know, as somebody who's on a neighborhood council, I've worked with his office and I can't, I've never woken up on any given morning and been like, wow, Mike Fuhrer, what a guy. I would love for him to be my representative. <laughs> the other candidates who are running are, uh, there's a state senator. His name is Anthony Portentino. Uh, he just termed out as a state senator. So it, you know, makes logistical sense for him to, you know, run for something higher up. Uh, then there's Laura Friedman, who's uh, my former state assembly member. After the all of the redistricting in 2020, after the census, she's no longer my state rep, but she represents part of the district that I'm running for. So she is representing Burbank, Glendale, and a little bit of a bigger portion than that. But she's running. And then there is Seppi Shine. She is the mayor of West Hollywood. She's running. Those are sort of the big folks who are already in elected positions who are running. We also have a celebrity running, uh, Ben Savage, who you might remember from Boy Meets World, if anybody oh here God. watched TGIF. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so it's kind of wild. I, I said this recently, you know, 10-year-old me would have never guessed that <laughs> in 25 years I'd be running against Boy Meets World. Like, it's it kind of blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> so you've established, though, relationships because you've been mm -hmm. on the Neighborhood Council and you've been doing this canvassing for your campaigns where you've obviously obviously made some relationships because you were able to get into the general election this last time. So, you know, you just plan on like leveraging that and trying to expand that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, folks have asked me, who do you think is the front runner in this election? And I think it's me. I'm the only candidate who has run before. I came in second place. You know, if not for the incumbents, there's a good likelihood that I would be your congressperson right now. But uh, again, I was outspent over 500 to one. A lot of folks describe, when I say folks, I mean a lot of uh, media described my candidacy in 2022 as, you know, a long shot run, an uphill battle. And here's the thing, any single person who is running in this election now Running against Adam Schiff in 2022 also would have been an uphill battle, long mm -hmm. shot candidates. I have established early on that I'm running on my values and my platform. That's why I want people to vote for me. Don't even vote for me because I'm a drag queen or I'm a trans person. Vote for me because you want to see things like universal health care and housing for all and environmental justice, racial justice, LGBTQIA rights, reproductive rights. And so, you know, it's, it's just interesting to me that folks sort of, I think because I'm a drag queen and because I'm a trans person, they like to, you know, cast my campaign aside as, as being not serious. 
serious. And then when I look in them in the eye and I ask them, well, what's not serious about my campaign? They get very uncomfortable because there's not really a way to get around that answer without being somehow homophobic, transphobic, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, going into this next election, you know, we got over 60,000 votes in 2022. That's a that's a winning number in this race. Mm-hmm. So I'm the only candidate going into 2024 who has a solid base of loyal voters from previous elections for this specific seat. And I'm confident that not only will we retain those voters, but we're also going to get a lot more voters as folks learn about our campaign. You know, I think especially with my seat in the last two years, folks were somewhat comfortable with their congressperson. You know, he'd been in office for over two decades. There was really no risk of losing the seat. So, you know, people sort of just voted incumbents a lot of the way down the ballot. But I think this is the time folks are really going to have to reckon with what are my my options? What are my choices? This is going to be the person who's going to be my representative. And we have to ask, do I want more of the same or do I want somebody who uh, is maybe a little bit different, but actually more so aligns with my belief system, my values, you know, the core of what I would like to see represented in the nation that I live in. And, you know, folks are always looking for political experience. Well, hey, I've been a locally elected official for over four years now. I'm about to start my third term being a local representative. So I have experience. It's very local experience. And that's the kind of experience that I want to lead with when I'm elected to Congress. You know, our our slogan this time is working for change neighborhood to nation. And so I recognize that even though I'm I would be representing this massive district. I want to be leading in the same way as if I'm leading my own neighborhood. And that really, I think, speaks volumes because would you want awful things happening in your own neighborhood? No, nobody yeah. does. Lead as if you are are doing this for your own neighborhood, and that's how it should be. So I'm really excited about this upcoming year. Nice. And in the meantime, you've been on the Neighborhood Council. Do you still maintain your – when we last spoke, you were on uh, the – homeless committee and the LGBTQIA committee. Are you still on those committees? Yes. So actually, it's interesting. So the LGBTQIA committee that I formed on the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council, that actually morphed into something a lot bigger, morphed into the LGBTQ plus alliance of neighborhood councils. So it went from being just something that was specific to the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council, but something that was available to all 99 neighborhood councils in Los Angeles. And the alliance itself hasn't been necessarily super active right now, but we just accomplished something that we had been working on since we began the organization in early 2020, which was we were fighting the city to require DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion training for all neighborhood council members and city employees. And almost three years later, it finally was adopted into law here in Los Angeles. And that's something that our alliance fought really hard to get. You know, we attended a lot of meetings and even were involved with the development of the DEI training. And, you know, a lot of that stemmed from me seeing that there were a lot of injustices, even within this very small branch of local government. You know, I was seeing a lot of my fellow you know, board members either get misgendered or, you know, discriminated against for, you know, just for being who they are. Anyway, so I'm very proud of that. So I'm still doing that. I am the treasurer now for the Neighborhood Council. I think that was something I started right after we had last spoken. So I've been the treasurer for the Neighborhood Council ever since. So I create the the budget for the Neighborhood Council. I handle all of the uh, dispensing of funds, you know, whenever we approve grants for different nonprofits and local schools, I handle all of that. So it's been really exciting. So 
I'm still a, a, an at-large representative for the organization, but also, you know, as the treasurer and as a, a member of the executive board, have taken sort of a leadership role. I'm actually now the most tenured person on the board, and there's 21 of us. So I'm the, I've been there the longest now. And it comes with a certain level of responsibility and, you know, helping to keep things organized and a lot of, you know, new folks, how do I do this? How do I do that? What's the procedure on this? And so, again, I do understand the importance of having some political experience, but I think it's sort of this weird fine line where, okay, once you're in any given spot for too long, at what point have you overstayed your welcome, you know? And at what point are you then, you know, starting to get out of touch with the new generation? So for me, it's never been about political climbing or, you know, career, you know, a career path for me. But more so, I've always said, if I get into Congress, I think I would want to stay in for about four terms, which would be eight years. I think that's a reasonable amount of time to get stuff done. But you're not in there so long that you're out of touch with the folks who are actually voting you in. So... And then you're still doing drag, yes? Yes, still doing drag, still doing drag. In fact, the drag brunch that you had come to, Wigs and Waffles, uh, we are still doing that show. Uh, We have a new location because the uh, Standard Hotel closed during the pandemic. So we're now doing it at a a bar and restaurant out in West Hollywood every Sunday. Uh, But it's been great. We've been doing the show for about four years now. In fact, uh, a big travel organization named our show the best drag show in America. Not even best drag brunch, but best drag show. So that was really exciting. Um, So it's been great, but it also has been a a balancing act, you know, sort of trying to juggle my neighborhood council work with, you know, not only just performing in drag shows, but producing and hosting drag shows. And I also work part time at a restaurant, you know, to be able to make ends meet. I don't make any money from being on the neighborhood council. So, you know, in order to be able to be on the neighborhood council, in order to be able to run for Congress, I have to make money elsewhere. So I'm doing drag and working at the restaurant a few days a week. And again, I would want my representative to be a working class representative, Mm -hmm. somebody who actually understands the struggles of what folks who are maybe a little bit poor or belong to a marginalized community actually understand the day-to-day struggles that folks like that go through. And I think once you've been in Congress for 20 years and, you know, you have so many zeros after your, your net worth, you start to lose touch as to what real everyday people are actually going through. Yeah, there are definitely some advantages you bring with your perspective. Well, thank you so much for catching up with me. Is there anything else you want to share with the privates before we wrap? Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, I'm single. I'm very single. I have not had much. I have not had much time to date, but I am open to it. And uh, also, if anybody's interested in getting involved with our campaign, we are looking for more volunteers and folks to help us spread the word. You can learn more at maybeagirlforcongress.org, and we'd love to connect. Amazing. That's the best use of that space. (laughs) I commend you. (laughs) (laughs) That is so hilarious. I would be honored if I helped maybe a girl find love by playing matchmaker on my podcast. That would be so amazing. So if you're interested in dating her or just helping with the campaign, get in touch. And thanks for tuning in to this episode of Private Parts Unknown. And a big thanks, obviously, to Maybe. I am so eager to see how her third congressional campaign shakes out. And of course, stay tuned because I have got lots more sexy episodes coming up for you soon, including a listener-requested episode about praise kinks and breeding kinks. 
Plus, I am taking you inside some Midwestern sex clubs, which no, it's not an oxymoron. <laughs> to get notified of the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player now. There's a little bell button on Spotify and on most apps, it's like a follow or a subscribe button. And to stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak, that is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. And hey, baby, I am shamelessly trying to hit the top 1% on OnlyFans before I retire. This is like a serious goal of mine. And I'm currently in the top 5%. So if you are interested in a Playboy style peek behind the podcast, you can subscribe to my OnlyFans. It's OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. Again, OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. I would be honored, honestly. <laughs> and for more exclusive content and updates, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. And shout out to Amy Roush for the bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyroush.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H.com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. We have actually been trying to hit some rating and review goals, and you guys have been awesome about helping us out with that. So let me give you a quick update. We are currently trying to get to 275 ratings on Apple Podcasts, and we are currently at 267. So we are less than 10 away. Oh my God. So exciting. And we got a new review. So let me read it to you. It is from Annie Ruthie, who says, entertaining, fascinating, and obs sexy. Horny for this podcast. Courtney is a great host, and I love the interviews and guests. It's a super fun and informative romp. Oh, thank you, Annie Ruthie. So flattered. I would be so thrilled if anyone else wanted to leave a lovely review like that, that I could read on the next episode. And if you are listening on Spotify, we are currently trying to get to a hundred ratings over there. And we are currently at 82. So just 18 away. And if you're listening on Spotify right now, you can go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click the star button, and then click all five stars. And voila, you have just made my freaking day. And there is another way you can support the show. We are now on the Fountain app. So if you are listening on Fountain or another V4V platform and you get value from this show, you can support the show by sending us a boostagram or some sats for streaming. And we have already had some people doing that. So I just want to shout out a couple recent listeners, Pretty Jazzed, Castomatic, and Illuminati Podverse. Thank you so much for listening on Fountain, sending us those sats, and helping support the show. I really, really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much, Privates, for making it all the way to the freaking end. Rockstar listeners, okay? Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring. Love you, Privates. Privates.